parade of things that look like they're going one way and all of a sudden change to go another way. For I have plans and I have purposes and I will rearrange and set things in order the way it should be, the way it needs to be, the way that you'll be blessed, protected, and secure. So don't resist me when I do these things, but trust me, stay in my rest, watch me work, I will fulfill, I will give you the strength, and in the end, you'll see my hand upon you and your situation. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> in our men's Bible study, we've been going through the book of Revelation, and uh, how many of you ever read the book of Revelation? How many of you got to figure it out, understand what it's all about? Uh, I saw your hand is up. What, no. <laughs> no, because, you know, it's, it's a book with a lot of imagery, a lot of allegory, um, and, um, and it, it doesn't necessarily have everything exactly in the chronological order. There's events, and then all of a sudden it pauses, and then it kind of opens up and shows some things, and then gets back into what God is doing in this period. And so because of these intermissions and pauses and allegories and images, a lot of people come up with a lot of different ideas, and then that just kind of confuses, muddies up the water even more. But... Um, but as you get into it and you just meditate on it and you look, really everything in the, in the book of Revelation is stuff that has already happened in the Old Testament. Uh, a lot of prophecy, a lot of history repeats itself. And it's a cycle and it continues on. And so a lot of, you know, there was Elijah back then, but then there's the spirit of Elijah and John the Baptist. But then there's also going to be Elijah during the tribulation period. So it's just kind of an interesting pattern that, that repeats itself. But in our study, we went through a chapter 12, and in chapter 12, I really saw the beautiful story of God's covenant and how powerful he is. So we're going to get into that today and, and look at how powerful God's covenant is. And I hope this will encourage you today because even though it may... A lot of it pertains to Israel. Um, God has a covenant with us. We're in a covenant relationship with God. Jesus ratified that covenant by shedding his blood, by giving his life. He was the greater one. He's the one that enforces it. That's why it's called the New Testament or the will because he's the one with all of the resources. He's the one with all the provision. And he's the one that says, I'm going to give you this when I die. And, of course, he died, but then he rose from the dead. And he rose from the dead so he could make sure that everything that was in the covenant, everything that's in the New Testament is being enforced. It's being given out to you. It's being provided to you. But it doesn't mean it just automatically comes Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. <laughs> and we're going to see that here as we go through this. So um, I can't get into every scripture, so I'm going to give you a little disclaimer. I'm going to say some things. I'm going to make a reference to where scripture is at. 
So if you want to study all those scriptures, then you're going to need to have a pen, you're going to have a paper, you're going to be able to jot these things down to go back and look at it later. Otherwise, we may be here until this evening, we may have to order food and uh, <laughs> have dinner then. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to do things, that you have done things, that you have prepared things for us before the foundation of the world, that you have given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness, that you have already blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, you have done a lot and provided a lot and given to us a lot. And you said old things have passed away and all things have become new. So, Lord, we thank you that that's what we have, that's where we're at, and that's who you are and what you've done for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And, Lord, I, I ask right now that a spirit of faith, would just be released because you said that you have dealt to every man the measure of faith. And so you have already given to us a spirit of faith. And so I pray right now, Lord, that that spirit of faith would just be bound to our hearts even stronger than ever before. That that spirit of faith, knowing that you are our God, knowing that you provide, knowing that you take care of us, Lord, that that would be bound to our hearts even stronger than before. Lord, that we would not doubt you, that we would not uh, be discouraged, that any spirit of discouragement would be loosed off of our life and be removed from us, and that our hearts would just be full of faith, especially in these days. Father, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at Revelation chapter 12. John here is in a pause. What happened is we've, we've kind of gone through some seals that were opened up, some judgments that were poured out. There were some trumpets blown. That brought other judgments. And then all of a sudden, God just says, you know what? we gotta, we got to kind of fill in a little bit of some narratives of what has been going on, what's been working in the backgrounds, how things have been operating while all of that has been going on. And so within this, we get to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, John sees this. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in the heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And on his heads were seven diadems or crowns. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child... He might devour it. And she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. 
And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in a great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to a place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half time. And the serpent poured water like a river out of the mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon poured from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Now, does that all make sense to you? <laughs> Like, woo! <laughs> like airplanes flying over. But there's, there's real true symbolic and real meanings, and it's, it, it really plays out throughout the history of the Scripture. But first he says, I see a great sign in heaven. So what that tells us is that this is not something that is actually going on in a sequential event on the earth at that moment. It, it, it's events that do happen on the earth, but he's kind of wrapping it up into kind of an, an allegory image to paint a picture from, from what was, what is, and what is to come. And God loves imagery. He, he, he shows us things sometimes in imagery, and, and, uh, and, and sometimes it kind of makes us tilt, but what it does is it makes us go deeper. It makes us seek him more. God, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to speak to our heart? What, and, it, and it stirs something in us to say, what, what meaneth this? 
And in that searching and in that inquiring and in that looking, God begins to, to deal with our heart, our heartstrings, the reins of our heart become more attached to him because we long after him. If God just laid everything on the table and said, this is what it is, we go, oh, okay, on our way. But now he makes us search and dig and yield and pray and, and sometimes agonize and sometimes go through that process to get us to go deeper. How many of you want to go deeper? Amen. So we have these signs, right? So there's a sign in heaven. And we see that this woman is clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and she has on her head a crown, and on the crown there's 12 stars on her head. And then, of course, we see this great red dragon with seven heads, kind of gnarly looking. And on one of those heads there's 10 horns, and on those horns, there's ten crowns. Uh, if you ever Google that, you'll get some really interesting images. <laughs> but what this is, is it's, it's, it's a sign. It's a wonder. And what God is trying to do is he's trying to make something become more signified. He's trying to make something become more pronounced. He's trying to uh, re uh, make something stand out. I want to get your attention. So I'm going to give them this sign. It's something that's going to stick with you, something that's going to um, impress you. But it's also something that is going to distinguish something from others. It's something that's going to reveal an unusual occurrence transcending the common course of nature. So who is this woman? Well, the Bible gives us a clear interpretation of this in Genesis 37, verse 9 through 11. In this story, Joseph is getting dreams from God about how God is going to use him in a very powerful way to help his people and to lead his, his people. And so in this, in this process, he gets his dream in verse 9, and he dreams another dream, and he tells it to his brothers, and he says, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. So here God is giving him an image. And he's revealing to him, who, who are these? Who is the sun? Who is this moon? Who are these 11 stars? Well, Abraham caught on, or not Abraham, Jacob caught on right away. He Actually, he, he began to rebuke him. Are you saying your mother and I and your brothers are going to bow down to you? And his brothers became very jealous towards him, but his father had pondered these things in his heart. So keep in mind that Jacob... We call him Jacob, but at this point, his name has been changed to Israel. Jacob had an encounter with God. He wrestled with the angel. God was dealing with him in a certain way, and in the process of dealing with him, he had to kind of resubmit himself. He had to recommit himself. He had to, to give himself and realize that in, in himself, he can't do things, but with God, he can. 
and God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And really, the, the, the way to say it is Yisrael, but we, it's easier to say Israel for us. But really, it means God prevails. God prevails. And there's actually two root meanings to the word Israel. One of them is to have power to contend with, to per persist, to exert oneself, to persevere. And the other meaning is to be a mighty man, men of rank, mighty heroes. And see, that's her crown. See, the crown that she has is not the same crown as the dragon has. The dragon has kingly crowns. She has a crown of honor. There's a crown of honor that's put on her, and that honor is her name. That honor is the blessing and the favor that God put upon her as a nation. In Psalms 89, verses 34 through 37, the Lord says, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my mouth, from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn in my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne, as long as the sun before me, like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. Jeremiah 31, 35, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day, fix the order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that it waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. It is fixed order. It, if this fixed order departs from me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation. So no matter what has gone on with this nation, God is saying, listen, as long as, when, as long as when you get up in the morning and you see the sun go up, or at night when you go to bed and you see the moon and the stars, as long as you see those two ordinances, as long as you see those two events, Israel will always be a nation. And he goes on to say in Jeremiah 33, 19, the word of the Lord came to me, came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night will not come in their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken so that he shall not have my son or he shall not have a son to reign on his throne and my covenant with the Levitical priest minister. So again, God has this woman with the 12 stars, but she's clothed in the sun. She's clothed with the promise of God. She's clothed with the covenant of God, this ordinance that will remain and she will be there. It's a remarkable sign. When you think about it, there has been no other nation, none, in the history of humanity that was destroyed once, everybody was displaced, exiled out, then it came back, rebuilt, regrouped, became a nation again, and then was destroyed again 
and they were exiled, and they were taken out of their country, and then it came back for a third time in 1948. No other nation. It's a sign. It's a wonder. But it shows us how faithful God is. That he, no matter what it looks like, no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult the situation is, if God's word has promised you something, if God has spoke something to your heart, it's yes and amen, and no matter what, you can't give up. The problem is you can't give up. you got to be Israel. you got to prevail. The problem that people, things don't work out or come to pass is that sometimes we give up. But as long as we don't give up, God will never give up. But it doesn't come easy. We've got this dragon. And who is the dragon? Well, it says right there in verse 9. That's, that's the old serpent, the devil. He deceives the whole world. And, of course, we get a picture of him here and how that he led a rebellion. His tail swept a third of the stars. He led a rebellion in heaven against God. He took about a third of the angels with him. They rebelled against God. They had to get kicked out of heaven, sent down to this earth, and they operate in the earth, and they operate in the, in the second heaven or the heavenly realm above the planet. And that's where they operate. That's where their shop is, at least for now. <laughs> it's going to change. There's going to be a change. And so we see a picture of this. And what are these seven heads? Well, in Revelation 17, 10, it says there are seven kings. So the seven heads represent seven kings or seven kingdoms. And it's interesting what the angel says to John. He says, five are fallen. One is, and the other is yet to come. So when you look at where John was at, he was writing this in about 95 A.D. In 95 A.D., the kingdom that was prevailing was Rome. So Rome is that sixth kingdom. Five had fallen. One is... Rome, and one is yet to come. Now, what makes one of the kingdoms of the past become a head of the dragon is, is a couple things. One, it is a world-dominant power that no one else could overthrow. Right now, we live, in, we live in a realm of superpowers. We have China. We have the United States, Russia, Great Britain. And, and so, you know, none of us are, like, higher than others that we could, you know, overthrow one. We've all got nukes. we all got bombs. We can all decimate each other if we wanted to. But back then, you know, you had the dominant kingdom. There were other kingdoms out there, but they weren't powerful as that dominant kingdom and... They did not rule over the Jews. That's, that's the dif dif differentiating between who is a dragon head and who is not. So you go back. What was the first king or kingdom 
that ruled over the Jews? What was Egypt? They went down there through Joseph's dream. They went down there. They, uh, there was a drought going on. They had to survive. Here comes uh, Jacob and his sons, and they, they find out Joseph is the, long, the lost brother that they sold to the Midianites. It's a great reunion, wonderful story about forgiveness and restoration. And now they're going to come and live in Egypt. And they're living good. They're multiplying. As they're multiplying, what's happening is uh, another pharaoh comes into play who doesn't know Joseph. Joseph has passed away. Another pharaoh comes, and he starts to see all of these people multiplying, and he's getting concerned because he's thinking that someday they're going to turn against him. Satan's manipulating something in his mind, putting a fear, putting a worry, and so he, they, they start to treat him bitterly. They make him slaves. They oppress him. They go after them. They're, they're making uh, their life miserable for them. And then they come up with a hideous idea. They go to the midwives and they say, when the Israelite women have children, if it's a baby boy, kill it. Let the girls live, kill the boys. Well, God got a hold of the midwives right away. Put the fear of God in them. And they couldn't do it. And Pharaoh got mad at them. He said, why aren't you doing this? And they said, well, because those Israelite women, they're a hardy women, you know. And by the time we get there to help them deliver, their baby's already born and gone. That was their story. <laughs> Good story, right? <laughs> but the Bible says that God blessed the midwives for not doing that. He took care of them. Then Pharaoh went on to tell everybody, every Egyptian, he said, listen, if you see an Israelite having a baby and it's a boy, throw it in the Nile River. So that was the first genocide. Interesting, interesting little thought here with this. They didn't, they didn't want to kill the women. They wanted the women to live. They didn't want the men to live. You know, Satan has an evil plan, and his evil plan is really an attack against the seed of the righteous. As a matter of fact, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did God say to the serpent? He said, I will put enmity, I will put a war, I will put a battle, I will put a struggle between your seed and the woman's seed. And ever since then, Satan is on a seed war. He's trying to destroy the seed of the righteous. He's trying to plant evil seeds into the lives of people. And he, he got really good at this in Genesis chapter 6. Have you ever read Genesis chapter 6? It gets a little, a little bizarre. The sons of God come down to the daughters of men, and all of a sudden giants and Nephilim are being born, and, and there's wickedness in all the earth, and you're like, what in the world is going on here? Well, Satan is trying to manipulate through demonic activity, demonic possession, getting into the actual reproduction of humanity to change the seed. And the reason why he wants to change the seed, and really, what is a seed? A seed is a, is a DNA in you, and it's filled with information, and that's why when, when a husband and wife come together and they have a child, what are they doing? They're putting their information into another living creature, and when that creature comes out, it's kind of like an image of them. You're going to see an image of yourself soon. It's going to be a little bit of you. It's going to be a little bit of Courtney. It's going to have your DNA. 
but not his DNA. Not, not his DNA. <laughs> his DNA, but not, right? But so he's after the seed. He's battling after the seed because he wants to corrupt it. I think that's what he was trying to do here. He wanted to put, he wanted to mingle the Israelite or the, the Jewish seed with Egyptian seed. So kill the men, keep the women, they can marry our men, and we can put our seed in them so that we can just mingle ourselves with them. If you ever read the last Daniel's um, um, recount of the, the, the statue, the image, and it talks about the final beast with the ten toes, it correlates with this. One of the things that are about it is that they try to mingle with the seeds with the seed of men. So it's a very interesting thing. It gets kind of wild. But what it is, it's 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 putting information. It's downloading information. As a matter of fact, when the when the beast comes, he's going to try to get people to take the mark, but it's not just a physical mark. But it's actually an imprint of his name that is put into people. So that his information, his DNA can go on the inside of him. So we're seeing in our culture more and more, and I, and, I, and I warn you, especially you that have parents, watch what your kids are watching. Because even some of the nicest entertainers out there that seem so lovely and pretty and sweet and nice, they're getting into demonic worship. They're opening up kids to how, how do you contact demons? How do you have demon connections? See, Satan is going to take our culture into that. We see that in the book of Revelation that they're worshiping the dragon. It's not like they're worshiping the Antichrist, not knowing they're worshiping the dragon. They are worshiping the dragon and the Antichrist. It's like a false uh, trinity because you, you have the dragon, you have the Antichrist, and then you have the false prophet. All of that is going on in the end times. So we have to guard ourselves and make sure that we don't allow that influence upon our children. So in this situation here, we see that there's seven heads. There's seven kingdoms. And uh, it's interesting as we look back because we see Egypt as the first one. And then what happened is after, after the children of Israel came out of Egypt, then they traveled in the wilderness. They had to go for a 40-year 40, uh, 40 detour, road construction. You know, it was... Uh, <laughs> we all know what that's all about. Can't wait till those roads are done. So uh, <laughs> finally they go into the promised land. They start to, to inhabit there. They're living there for many years. They've got judges that are trying to lead them and guide them. And uh, that kind of goes good and bad. They're on a roller coaster. They're doing good. Then they do bad. Then they do good. And that goes on. If you ever read the book of Judges, you feel like you're on a on a, on a, on a roller coaster ride a moral roller coaster but then they finally get some kings going they got Saul then they got David then they got Solomon and so now they have some kings going but then they have some contention within them and they actually split into two kingdoms you have the northern kingdom which is 10 tribes and basically it's the 10 tribes except for Judah and Benjamin and then you have the southern kingdom and you have Judah and Benjamin down there. So you have these two kingdoms, the northern and the southern. And so then, as, as they're going on that way, of course, they're, they're doing idol worship and whatnot. But then there's this 
this country, this, uh, this army, this nation called the Assyrians, and they come in and they overtake the northern kingdom. And they exile them away. The Assyrians were the most brutal of warriors. I mean, you know, you know where the decapitating of heads come in. That's where they did. They would line them all up. They would, and they would actually, they would actually have accountants with the soldiers going out into battle, and the accountants would say, oh, Soldier Austin, how many, let's see how many heads he cut off. Oh, he cut off 20 heads today. He's going to get this much reward because he cut off 20 heads. And then the other ones that they, they kept, they brought them back so they could use them for sport, torture them, Colosseum-type stuff, throw them to the lions, the wolves, flay them alive, you know, all that kind of stuff. So they were very, very barbaric and they went in that was the second head then another kingdom came and we start to see this more predominant when Daniel because this other king comes in and he is Babylon and he gets the southern kingdom he brings the southern kingdom and exiles takes it takes it takes it comes in there destroys Jerusalem destroys Solomon's temple and he takes those people out of there Brings him back to Babylon. And so now he's oppressing the Israelites. And he overtook the Assyrians. And now the Babylonian Empire is, is going on. And you can read a lot of this in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 9. It really breaks it down. He gets into a lot of the details of these things. But through this process, God reveals that there's going to be another kingdom that's going to come after Babylon, and it's going to be the, the Medes and the Persians. And then they come into play. They overthrow Babylon. They overthrow Nebuchadnezzar's son. Remember the story where Nebuchadnezzar's son is having this party, and he pulls out these sacred items out of the, that they took from the, from the Holy of Holies of the Jews, and he has this party, and he's using it for the utensils. And they're having a good old time, and all of a sudden a hand, a huge hand comes floating into the room, and it writes on the wall, many, many, techie, techle, whatever, I don't know. But basically what it said was, your days are numbered, you're found wanting, your kingdom will come to an end. And that night he was assassinated by the uh, Medes and the Persians. Now, the Medes and the Persians were somewhat favorable for the Jews. As a matter of fact, one of their kings, King Cyrus, allowed the Jews to come back to the homeland. He started allowing them to come back and, re and rebuild the walls and, and start to rebuild their temple and start to do their worship and so forth. But it was within that kingdom that there was an evil man named Haman. And Haman hated Mordecai, who was a Jew, who was actually the uncle to Queen Esther. And he hated them. And he hated the Jews. And he wanted to get rid of the Jews. And so he came up with a plan. He, he, he kind of tricked the king and he said, listen, king, there's some people in, this, in your kingdom who don't follow you laws, who are going to turn against you, who are going to rise up against you. And you need to put together an order that on a certain day, and I think it was March 7th, that all of them would be killed. 
And so he built all these gallows, and he had them all ready so they could hang Jews. And so on this day of March 7th, the, the, this edict would be read, and anybody and everybody that wanted to kill a Jew, it was national, kill a Jew day. Everybody could kill a Jew. And so Esther, Mordecai found out about this. He told Esther about it. Esther then began to, you know, she was kind of like, oh, man, I got a good hair. I'm, I'm the queen, you know. Uh, King uh, Xerxes loves me, you know. I mean, this is, this is all going good. Do I want to rock this boat? But Mordecai says, listen, if God's going to deliver us one way or the other, but if you don't, it'll bring a judgment on you. But maybe you were put into this place for such a time as this. You know, God's putting us in this place right now. God is putting us in this place right now. Each one of us has a specific assignment from God. We could have been born 100 years ago. We could have been born 200 years ago. But we're born today. We're born in this hour. We're born in this season where things are happening and things are going on. And God has put us here for such a time as this. And so we have to be ready. And so she has this banquet and gets the king, and gets Haman in there and says, be, says to the king, listen, we got something going on here that, you know, first she's buttering them all up, right? And then she, gets, and she tells them exactly what's going on. And then she says, and, and this guy right here, not this guy, uh, <laughs> Haman is going to have all of me and my people killed. And what's interesting is, and this is really an interesting note, Mordecai, several years before this, out of the integrity and the character of his own heart, stopped a plot that was trying to kill the king. He could have just, he could have said, no, I'm, you know, king's going to get it. <laughs> but he did what was right in his heart. When you do what's right in your heart, when you live by the godly morals and character that God has spoken to you, it will not go unnoticed, and it will be the very thing that may save you in the days to come. So just take that from the Lord. And so when it was brought to the king's attention that Mordecai was this man who saved him from a plot to kill him, and that this was an evil plan, he turned around, he took Haman, put him in the gallows, hung him, he hung his ten sons, and then he reversed the edict, and he said, anybody, the Jews have a right now to stand up on March 7th, and they can defend themselves, and they can kill anybody who tries to come after them. And so here comes March 7th, the Jews come together, and over 80,000 enemies of the Jews were killed on that day. But God preserved them. See, there's that war going on between the dragon and the woman. And that was, that was one of the heads of the dragon that was trying to devour. After the Medes and the Persians, here comes Greece. Greece comes along, and they, they take over. Now they're the ruling power. Interesting, Greece was kind of a, a hodgepodge a little bit. It had Alexander the Great who conquered the known world. By the time he was 30 years old, he didn't know what to do. And uh, he just said, I'm done. But then his four generals took over. And there were other kings. But there was one king that came up out of the Greece empire, Antikos Epiphanes. I hope I, 
don't know if I said that right or not. <laughs> it's good? Okay. He's called the little horn. He's a little horn. He comes up on, out of the kingdom of Greece. And about 137 B.C., he rides into Jerusalem. And he hates the Jews. And he goes after the priest. He goes after the leaders. He executes them. He kills them. The Bible talks about in Daniel, the, he went after the stars, the stars of the kingdom there. Then he goes into the sacred temple. He sets up an altar for Zeus. Zeus is, Zeus is the god of gods. He's the king god to the Greeks. He sets up an altar in the temple to Zeus. He gives offering to him, and then he declares that he is Zeus on the earth. It's just a little picture of the Antichrist, that little horn that's going to eventually pop up out of these ten horns. And so, again, history repeating itself. So that was the fifth dragon. And, of course, we get to the sixth dragon, and that's Rome. And we know how Rome was nice and friendly to the Jews. They let them be for so long, but then after a while, a lot of conflict came in. And then in 70 AD, Titus of Rome came in there and said, enough is enough. He destroyed their temple. He killed many of them. Over a million Jews were killed in that war. He, he exiled them. And he did something that really caused a problem, and it's actually causing a problem for us today is when he annihilated them and took them out of their land, he no longer allowed that land to be called Israel. He said, this land will be Palestine. And that's created a problem because the Palestinians think they, can, they own this land. They think it belongs to them. No, the dragon said it belongs to you, but not God. So this woman, you can see, she's this woman clothed with the sun, standing on the moon with the 12 stars. She's pregnant. She has this man-child in her who's going to rule the world with a rod of iron. But she's having a rough pregnancy. Have, you, have any of you women ever had a rough pregnancy? <laughs> it says in agony and pain. She was going through a rough run. All these things were trying to come against her, trying to kill her. And then when she finally gives birth to that man-child, oh, what a beautiful Christmas morning it was. The angels were in the sky singing, and it was just glorious, the shepherds and, and so forth. But it wasn't long after, here comes an army from Herod, who was an appointed king by the sixth dragon head. Rome, he comes marching in to Bethlehem to kill every baby boy to and under. Us men, we don't necessarily, we kind of read that, but you women, you, you read that and you, you cringe to see your own baby being killed right in front of you. See, that, that dragon was there to devour. But the child was caught up to God. So we see here in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, after, he, after he's 
raises from the dead, he gets caught up to God. He's out of here. Now, what's interesting in the passage is that there's, in prophecy, there's, there's a gap. There's a, a lot of times in prophecy, when you're reading it, you get to a certain point, and all of a sudden, the whole subject matter changes, and there's this gap, and it can be thousands of years between one sentence and another. So, for example, when, when Jesus came and he preached his first message, you remember that, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's anointed me to preach the good news, the favorable year of the Lord, he stops right in the middle of the sentence. He stops right there because the sentence, if he would have read the whole sentence, there was a comma there, but he stopped But if he would have read the whole sentence and the rest of the chapter, it would have went into the day of vengeance. See, there was, there was a gap. We're right now, we are in the acceptable day of the Lord. We're still in the acceptable day of the Lord. We have not gotten into the day of vengeance. But the day of vengeance is coming. There is a day that's coming, and it's not too far away. So she goes through this pregnancy. She goes through this battle. But then after the child is caught up to God, it says that she flees into the wilderness. Now this gets real interesting because let's go to the map. Can you give me the map of Israel right now? It's the one that shows Israel in the lighter tan color and then okay, perfect. So this is Israel right now. Now if you if you look a little bit above the E, you go up a little bit and you'll see Jerusalem. You see that star? That's where Jerusalem is right now. Now you see that gray all around it? That's the West Bank. Okay? That's not friendly territory. That's a lot of Muslim in there who hate Jews. And then, of course, you've got Jordan all along on the west. You've got uh, Syria up on the top. Lebanon, you see that way on the top. All of that is hostile territory, okay? Now if you can go to the other map with uh, the, the mountains. All right. So you don't see where Jerusalem is, but you see the Dead Sea. If you go a little bit to the left of that, kind of close to where Mount Zion is, that's about where Jerusalem is. Now, you have a mountain section there, Mount Olivet, that's where Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, the Mount of Olives, he gave the sermon there. You have Mount Moriah. Um, you go up further, there's three mountain ranges there. You got Mount Ebal in the middle. That's where Moses got the commandments from God. That's where he visited with God and, and gave them the law. And they would stand on that mountain and read the law out over the valleys. It was pretty cool. So just keep that thought in mind here as I as, as we're going, to, I'm, I'm just going to kind of jump towards where we're at right now because right now there's three more battles that, three major battles that are going to come against Israel. There's one that's identified in Psalms 83. In Psalms 83, this battle is predicated on we want to cut off Israel from the earth. We want to cut them off. That's why we're, that's why we're fighting them. 
Then later on, there's another battle that Ezekiel 38 talks about, and it's the war of Gog and Magog. The reason for that battle is they want their resources. They want their livestock. They want their, their booty is what it says in the King James. I'm going to get your booty. <laughs> Many Bible theologians don't know where to place that. They don't know if it's before the tribulation or during. Me personally... I think it's right at the beginning of the tribulation. It lines up with the seals because when the seals are open, there's several things that happen. There's wars. Antichrist comes out first. Then after him, peace is taken from the earth. There's a lot of wars going on. Then after that, there's rationings. All of a sudden, a, a wheat will cost a day's wages. And what's interesting in that, if you've ever read that, what it says in that passage is that when this, when this uh, uh, scar scarcity, when this uh, uh, lack hits the earth, it cannot touch the oil and the wine. And if Israel is doing good, they're, the, they're, they're a representation of God's oil and wine throughout the scriptures. It's his vineyard, it's his oil, it's his, it's his anointed ones. And so if they're doing okay and the rest of the world is going through a struggle, especially the kingdoms to the north, and the kingdoms to the north, we get into Iran, Iraq, Turkey, and Russia. And we're seeing through the Ukraine war now, Russia is becoming um, united with Iran. They're sharing uh, weaponry. They're use, uh, uh, Russia's using Iran's drone technology in their war against the Ukraine. Um, there's oil that they're... You know, using and of course, Iran would love nothing more than to have nuclear technology from Russia to help them kill the Jews. But what's interesting in this Gog and Magog war is that they really don't want to go into battle. God has to put a hook in their mouth. He has to drag them out. He has to make them go beyond what they really want to do. But they go ahead and do it because they want their resources. And when they come after them, God supernaturally attacks these armies. He attacks them with earthquakes, rain, hail, fire. It's just crazy. And when you read at some of the seals that God begins to release, it matches up. And then also, which is kind of interesting, is during the first part of the tribulation, there's these guys, these two guys. They're called the two witnesses. And they're protecting Israel, and they're preaching the gospel. And while they're preaching the gospel, if anybody tries to come against them, they can call fire from heaven. They can release plagues on the earth. They can stop rain. They have control over the weather. And so they can, they can do these things because of the authority that God's given them. So if this army tries to come and attack them during this period of time, they have the supernatural power to stop it. And what's interesting is when... When this certain earthquake goes off, it's the sixth, I believe it's the sixth uh, seal that is released. When this earthquake goes off, the people of the earth know that this is the wrath of the Lamb. And in Ezekiel 38, when, this, when God steps in and he, he supernaturally protects Israel, they, do this, they say the same thing. This is the wrath of God has come upon us. So it's interesting. There's a lot of co correlation. 
So that's kind of how I look at it. And of course, the last battle, the final battle, has a whole different uh, reasoning to happening, and that is the Battle of Armageddon. That's the battle where Satan has finally created an army, manipulated mankind, mingled his seed with them, and now he has an army that he feels he has a fighting chance, and he's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to fight the, the one riding on the white horse, the Lamb of God. And it's kind of interesting on that one because Jesus just comes down there and just breathes a little and says, round these two guys up, let's throw them in the fire. Party over. <laughs> so there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of big climatic uh, you know to do on that one. It's a quickie uh, roundup, if you will. And Jesus is just like, hey, you know, this is how I do things. But what's important right now in where we're at with, and the reason why I showed you those maps is if you remember, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. He was talking about a parallel of two events. A, one, when Rome was going to come in and take over Jerusalem, the temple, and so forth. What's going to happen? But then he referenced into the future during the tribulation period. And he made a statement to him, and he said, when you see the abomination that brings desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, when you see that standing in the holy place, run. But he says, run to the hills. Can you put that map up again of Israel? Uh, just, the one, just the one with Israel in red, the red letter Israel. So, remember where those mountain regions were? Would a good general tell his people to flee into a hostile territory? No. So, I think from what I'm seeing in the scriptures, a lot of that area has to be neutralized. So, what we're entering into now with this, with this Hamas thing is God is, is saying, okay, it's time for me to do a couple of things here. I've got to neutralize Areas. I've got to prepare the escape route. Remember the Revelations 12? What happened to the woman? She fled into the wilderness. God had a place prepared for her. Right now, there isn't a whole lot of prep, there isn't places that she could really run to. She's kind of boxed in. So God's got to do something to neutralize around that area. He's got to do something in those mountains so they can go there and hide and get away. Because when the Antichrist finally manifests himself, it says in Zechariah that he's going to kill two-thirds of the Jews. And a third of them will be able to escape. But that's still a lot of people. they still got to get somewhere. So they got to get to the hills. And then what's kind of an interesting thing is between Israel, put that map up again. Between Israel and Jordan, there's an interesting hill country formation. And there's these cities that are built into the cliffs, built into the hills, and it's called Petra. And they're just marvels because you can go in, they have narrow roads to get to, hard to navigate to, but once you're in there, there's a whole city. There's places to live, to hide, to dwell, to, to remain. And so I think God has prepared a place for them to go to during that time. 
But here's the thing that I just want to share, and, and we'll close with this. And you can read about this in 2 Chronicles 22. And this is, this is how, this shows us the severity of the attacks of the enemy, but yet the faithfulness of who God is. Remember the verse I read where God made a promise to David? He said to David, out of your offspring, I will raise up a son who will be on the throne and he will reign forever. So that tipped the devil off. He goes, oh, I got to focus in on David's seed. So, of course, we've seen, we saw the battles, the, the, the power struggles between David's sons, who's going to be king and so forth. Um, but then as time goes on and they do wickedness, Jay, God raises up a, a king named Jehu. He comes in and he wipes out all of Ahab's children, offspring, because God says Ahab and his offspring will, will, has to die because of all their wickedness. So he goes and he wipes that out. That, that's the, the northern kingdom. But the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, where David is out of, there is a king, and his name is Jer or Jeroboam, and he's on the throne, but he dies. But he's got, he's got sons. And he's got grandsons. But his wife, Athliah, she becomes the queen. And she's like, I don't want to give up my queen. I want to be in control. I want to be in power. And, and she was so wicked that she killed her sons and her grandsons. And she was going by executing them one after another. And Jeroboam's sister saw what was going on, and there was little, little Joash. And she got him, hid him in the temple with the priest, saved the one and only offspring of David. It came down to just one child. She could have killed him. David would have had no offspring. Amazing. You know, I just feel like to tell you, no matter what you're going through, you, it may look like there's only one string. You know, we were worshiping the Lord today, and I saw a string, a very thin, frail string. And I knew it had something to pertain to this. And, but sometimes when you're going through things and you're just holding on by a little string, it just seems like you got a little thread that's not completely gone, it's not broken, but you just got a little string. Hang on to it. Because God's covenant, He is faithful. He watches over His word. He will perform it. He will make it good. He will bring it to pass. That little boy was preserved. He grew up to be a king. He had children, grandchildren, and the lineage of David lived on because God is faithful. Amen. No matter how gnarly the seven-headed dragon with ten horns looks, God is faithful. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for your hand upon us. We thank you, Lord, for your grace that you're working and moving and doing in our midst. And, 
And Lord, we lift up Israel to you right now. Father, we thank you for Israel. We thank you, Lord, that they endured such agony throughout their pregnancy of, of, of Jesus and, and the promise of the seed that you gave to Abraham, that, that birthed in them a pregnancy, Lord, of the man-child. Father, we thank you for them. We thank you, Lord, that you've preserved them, that you helped them, that they didn't give up on you, God. Even though there's, there's worldly influences in there and they haven't done the right things, Lord, that there is a persistence and a prevailing that you have preserved in the heart of those people. And so, Lord, we pray a hedge of protection over them. We pray, Father, that you will help them to do the things they need to do to prepare for what is yet to come. Give them wisdom, give them direction, protect them from attacks and onslaughts and things that would hinder that. And help them, Lord, to just turn their hearts to you, Lord to just turn themselves to you, to repent, to call upon you, to seek after you, to acknowledge you, that you alone are God. And Lord, that you would send laborers into their midst to share the gospel, that many of them would come to you, that there would be a spiritual awakening and a revival that would spread through those Jewish people, Lord. Or the seeds that are going to be planted, Lord, so that when the witnesses come, when the 144,000 uh, come and begin to share the gospel, when the angels fly in the, in the sky and share the gospel, Lord, all of that will take root and manifest salvation in their life. And so, Lord, we thank you for them. We pray your hand be upon them, your peace be upon them, Lord, that you continue to guide them through this and help them, Lord, to not give in to wickedness or, or or evil, but Lord, just to, to do things in a righteous, honorable, dignified way. Father, we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we got a, got a full one here. <laughs> Praise God.